Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I want us to uh, continue in a series called The Pathways of Victory. The Pathways of Victory. And we've been talking about this uh, since... Um, since the very, very beginning of right after Easter. And the reason that we've been talking about pathways of victory is because the greatest symbol of victory in all of human existence is when Jesus came out of the grave. He literally raised himself, listen, from the dead, rolled back the stone, folded up his grave clothes neatly, left them there, and came out of the grave. And this is what he says, all who place faith in me, I give the same power to. That power that raised Christ from the dead is available to all who believe. And boy, are we celebrating that power today on the day of Pentecost. We experience that power. We live in that power. But listen, let's be honest with ourselves. We, we not only celebrate the truths of the Bible, but I tell you, we really need to celebrate when we're walking in the truth, when we're walking in the victory that God uh, has supplied. It's wonderful to know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all, that he's the creator of all things, that he's the savior of the world, but it goes to a whole nother level when he becomes your savior, when you know him as your creator, when he, you know him as the one who baptized you in the Holy Spirit. By the way, just in case you're wondering what Pentecost is all about, it Pentecost is God's declaration that the blood worked. Pentecost is saying, listen, I have thoroughly washed you and the blood worked. So if you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can be fully convinced. Wow, it worked for even me. It worked for me. The blood cleansed me. And it made me a vessel for his Holy Spirit. That is victory. So what's that life look like? We've been talking about it for weeks here uh, out of Psalm 1. This isn't the only uh, verse that describes victory, but I believe it it greatly describes both the pathway of victory and what it looks like when people walk in these pathways of victory, these places where God's grace comes to us by his presence, these places where we're touched and changed, where we no longer say, wow, I'm going to be different if I get my willpower high. Nobody gets changed through willpower. Everybody at the gym wants a donut. (laughs) Nobody gets changed by willpower. We actually suddenly begin, when you get an internal change in the kingdom and it begins to work itself out, you can have power over the donut. Hello, anybody? Is that speaking to anybody here today? What's it look like when a person actually begins to walk in the victory of the resurrection and the victory that that Christ offered? Well, we've been quoting it for weeks. Psalm 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You see, 
uh, the, the, the connection for this person growing in success, prospering in the things of God is what? It's the river. It's the river of God's presence. That's what we're talking about, even celebrating today on this Pentecost Sunday. By the way, I just want to let you know, we are not the church that only brings up the Holy Spirit one time a year. We are the one that says we need the Holy Spirit every day to pray. Uh, to, we need the Holy Spirit to walk up and down the aisles of Walmart. God help us. We need a move of God at all times. So the outpouring of God is this divine enablement. And there's so much that happens when we experience this river of God's presence, this place that you can walk prepared by God, and you can go back and listen to the original messages. You say, well, what's that path called? Well, in Psalm 1, it's called meditation, but there are many paths that God has, has laid out for us. And he says, if you will walk in this place, you'll find grace. He's saying, it's not by works. Just position yourself there and let the work of my spirit begin to do something in you you could never do for yourself. Now, today I want to talk to you about the pathway probably that, that um, affects change like no other for you personally and for those around you. Today, I want to talk to you about the pathway of prayer. And if there's ever been a, a day or a time where we're, where we're celebrating prayer, Pentecost makes sense. Pentecost, when God pours out his spirit on, on, on people uh, for the first time in mass, because in the Old Testament, it was only prophets, priests, and kings who could receive the Spirit of God. But after the blood of Jesus washed believers, then anyone who placed faith in Christ could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, suddenly now there is this, this, this move of God, and they begin to speak with languages they, could, they didn't know before. And in this moment, they are given both prayer and proclamation together. They're given prayer and proclamation together. Prayer because they are declaring the glories of God and, and proclamation because people were hearing in their naturally known languages. So I want to tell you that in the moment where God says, the blood of Jesus worked for you, I want to pour my spirit out on you, I want to use your life to grow in intimacy, that's prayer, and in proclamation, that's prophesying and the preaching of the gospel. But today I want to I talk to you about prayer. Because if we don't lay hold of the intimacy of the Spirit and then take, take advantage of the place of prayer, boy, do we ever miss out on what God has for us. You see, to pray is to change. And all who have ever walked with God have viewed prayer as the main business of their lives. Richard Foster, in his book called The Celebration of Disciplines, he says this, of all spiritual disciplines, prayer is most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Meditation introduces us to the inner life. Fasting is an accompanying means. Study transforms our minds, but it is the discipline of prayer that brings us into the deepest and highest work of the human heart. Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing changing. That is so good and so true. 
And for those who've ever been explorers in the frontiers of faith, prayer was no little habit tacked onto the periphery of lives. It was, it was their lives, and it was the most serious work of the most productive years of their lives. Notice, notice what Jesus did in Mark 1.35. It says this, Now, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. I just have this statement to make. If the Son of God, in all perfection, who lives apart from sin, needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to learn how to pray? What a glorious example Jesus is giving to us of what intimacy and devotion to the Father looks like. It's a life of prayer. And I don't know if you've noticed, but probably in your life, there is nothing that is more under assault. Your prayer life. Your prayer life will be, man, there'll be warfare against your prayer life, man. You'll go, you'll go to get up and pray and something will happen and uh, you'll, you'll get, there'll be something that tries to rob you of those moments that you've set aside to God. But I want to tell you that when a thief comes into the house, hello, anybody who was at first Wednesday, when the thief shows up, what do you do? You say in the name of Jesus, you get out of here. I, I have an appointment with God. I've got to tell you, if you want to learn how to pray more, make an appointment with God that you keep as if you were on government insurance and they set up an appointment six months out. And if you miss it, it's going to be a year till you get back in with that specialist. If you'll treat prayer like you do your doctors, you might get some breakthrough in the, la- in the place of prayer. You know why? Because we cancel everything to get to a specialist. Why? Because we think we're finally going to get answers. Come on, church. Notice what these great fathers in the faith have said about prayer. Martin Luther said, I have so much business, I cannot go get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Hello. Hello. By the way, there was no Walmart for him to go to. Just go get something from the deli to eat quick. These people were growing their own food. Think about that for a second. John Wesley says this. He says, God does nothing except an answer to prayer. He prayed two hours every day. Smith Wigglesworth, some of you may not know this name, but Smith Wigglesworth was an evangelist. Um, really made famous in the uh, the early 1900s. Uh, he was a a, a two, uh, just a a plumber, really, who had a second grade education and couldn't read, and got born again. and And he said, "God, teach me how to read." And he picked up the Bible, taught himself to read, only raised about 16 people from the dead including his wife, who did not like it when he, when he did it. <laughs> she rebuked him. They talked, and she went back to the Lord. Anyways, uh, I don't, I, listen, I don't care if you believe me. Look it up yourself. Smith Wigglesworth, this is what he said. His prayer life was very unique. He said this. 
He says, I never pray more than 30 minutes, but I never go 30 minutes without prayer. Think of that. He is saying, I'm living in this perpetual place of communion supplied by God. He's given me this place of prayer. Now, please, this morning, if you hear these testimonies and you hear these things about three hours and two hours of prayer, do not despair. If you were going to run a marathon later in your life, maybe a year from now, you wouldn't start off the first day by running 26 miles. You would start off slowly. And by the way, God, by his grace, will draw you into the place of prayer. He will draw you. And, and listen, you're, you're not called to be an occasional jogger when it comes to the place of prayer. You are called to become more seasoned in this area. Why? Because it's the place of intimacy with the Lord. Within the, within, with this in mind, as we apply our lives to prayer, we can expect a year from now, we'll pray with greater authority and spiritual success than at present. Maybe you should begin to live this way when it comes to any of these pathways of victory. I'm not where I should be, but I'm not where I was. Come on, we're, we're, we're not just a, a, a gathering of saints. Man, we're a fellowship of the forgiven, okay? We're, we're a place where there's a whole lot of broken people come together. We find grace and God is walking us into looking more like Christ to this community. And so, to pray is to change. It's the central avenue that God uses to transform us. And it's the place where we find the heartbeat of God. And it's, places, it's the place where the passions of God are revealed and his plans are released into the earth. So let me give you a few elements of successful prayer, okay? Let me just give you a few elements. And these have been filled up. If you're regularly connected to our daily prayer, which is in broadcast on, on Facebook and our YouTube channel, or if you come here in person, we do a, a daily prayer meeting Monday through Thursday at the beginning of our day, which starts at 9 o'clock, and generally we go for about an hour. And I noticed all of these elements working their way in, in prayer, as God was laying these things as a foundation in my heart for what I was going to share with you today. First of all, successful prayer is humble. Successful prayer is humble. James 4 says it this way, but he gives more grace... Anybody, anybody uh, a candidate for more grace? Okay, I'll take yours if you don't want it. Because I need it. Therefore, God says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Grace is what? Undeserved favor. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. Humble prayers are grace-filled prayers. And humble prayers say, God you are God, and I am not. We heard it this week. 
Humble prayers say, God, I submit to you. Anybody ever try to get God to submit to your will? Oh, you bunch of liars. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. How many of you are grateful that God didn't answer some of those prayers? Come on, that's why Garth Brooks wrote the song and made it a number one. Thank God for unanswered prayers. Some of y'all don't know, one day y'all will go home and Google it and listen to it. You're like, oh, wow, yeah. Thank God for the prayers he didn't answer. You see, humble prayers say, I submit to you and I'm coming close. I confess my sins are many and I want your way to be my way. When we pray like this, God will move and what? Lift us up. That's what James 4 says. And never forget, to pray is to go before a throne. You know what they were celebrating over in England? Most of you Americans are going to go, nope. <laughs> the queen sitting on the throne for all these numbers of years. They were celebrating that. Never forget with, you know, England understands this because they still have a monarchy. We don't really understand the kingdom because we have never, as Americans, embraced a king. And yet, the, the, the all of Christendom is built on Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords. So you and I, when we come into prayer, we need to borrow some of the honor from our English brothers that they hold for the throne. That means that when you and I come into, into prayer, we don't do it carelessly or flippantly, but there is a measure of honor that says, you are the one that holds sway over my life. Your words affect how I live. Your spirit enables me to do your decrees. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace. Here, is, here it is again. We find grace to help in time of need. When we come humbly to the throne, we find mercy and we find grace. And when you find grace, it brings you into change. It brings you into transformation. By the way, I don't want you to think that your humble prayers have got to be then religious. Because your successful prayers, let me give you the other, another idea. Successful prayers are honest. There you are, humble before God, before the throne. You need to learn to be honest with God. You can tell God how you feel. Listen to me, church. You can tell God how you feel. Psalm 13 says, says this. How long, Lord, 
Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Oh, but it turns. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. If you want to guarantee your prayer life to be dry and empty, pretend. I think lots of people's prayer times have been dry and absence of the river of God's presence because we haven't been honest. We don't go into those moments, man, sometimes we're celebrating and other times we are hurting and we need to just say, God, on the inside, there is an ache, there's a hunger, there's a desire. Why is this going on? But God, I trust you. That's the model of Psalm 13. You see, All religious disciplines, including prayer, will leave you dry and empty without the interaction of authentic relationship. And this psalm is saying that it's permitted in the kingdom of God to let God know how you're not happy with your circumstances. You might as well get it off your chest and out in the open because he knows what you're thinking anyway. This is the element that sometimes, I'm going to give you, this third element changes everything. Successful prayer hears. And this is the part where uh, it doesn't, I, I, I purposefully wrote the word hears. Those of you who, who like English would say, why didn't you write successful prayer listens? Because you can be listening and hear nothing. And I want to suggest to you that God is speaking and that prayer is both you speaking to God, but it is also God's voice speaking back to you. In Acts 13, there was a moment where uh, there was a gathering much like this, quite a bit smaller, but they were just worshiping and praying to the Lord. And notice what happened as they were ministering to the Lord in Acts 13, 2. It says, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, listen, did you hear that? The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and they sent them away. All right, notice they, they were fasting and praying and ministering to the Lord. And then what happened? They heard. They heard. Well, how did they hear the Holy Spirit that day? Well, verse 1 says that there were teachers and prophets in Antioch. What is, what is this person called a prophet? It's one who hears God and declares what he is saying. So someone there in the atmosphere of worship and prayer heard God and said, set apart unto me Barnabas and Saul. 
How important is this moment? Pick up your Bible. I'll tell you, 13 books, if not 14, but definitely 13 books in this Bible are connected to someone hearing God and we don't even know their name. Why? Because Saul would become the Apostle Paul and pen the letters and epistles that would edify us and grow us in our relationship with God even to this day. Someone heard from God in an atmosphere of prayer and it changed everything. And listen, you're built to hear him. Your prayer life will change when you start hearing God. When you say, oh, maybe my prayer life doesn't need to just only be petitioning. If you only uh, portion out your prayer time to include only your petitioning, you will miss the most glorious part. The most glorious life-changing part is when God speaks back to you. I love it. The heart of God, direction, revelation, And oftentimes our callings are connected to the hearing aspect of prayer. And to to neglect hearing is to ignore the part of prayer that propels us to fruitful action. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Why? Because answers will come. Answers will come. I want to just kind of, I, I don't want you to just pray for the benefits. That's why I wanted to give you the elements of prayers. But I, I do think you should know some of the benefits of prayer. I think you should understand that on this day of Pentecost where God baptizes his people in the spirit, gives them a prayer language, and enables them to pray in a way that they can't mess it up in other tongues, that you need to understand there are benefits from a prayer life. Let me just, just quickly give you a few. First is peace. Philippians 4 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your mind. Could it be that there's much anxiety in the church because there is little prayer? But when there is much prayer, anxiety, is su- it suddenly takes the back seat to the will of God and the character of the Father who loves us. One of the other benefits is power. You should know this. The Christian life is not meant to be merely a life that, that has been um, changed morally, meaning that you're just a better moral person. The Christian life is actually quite a supernatural one. It's quite a supernatural one. That sees healing, that sees deliverance, that sees the mighty power of God. And that's why James 5 says, is any one of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with, the, them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And 
He says, listen, confess your, your, your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He said, listen, one of the benefits of prayer is access to supernatural power. By the way, this is not God saying there was healing power in the oil. You may love your essential oils, but this is not your verse. God bless you. That's all wonderful. But this is not saying there's power in the oil. It's saying God gave us a place before his throne to access a power that goes beyond human flesh right into the heart of God. It's power. You know, prayer is also produces protection. I love this. Matthew 26, 40, it says, Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and, and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What kind of protection does prayer offer? Spiritual protection. Let me just let you know that you have an enemy. He is like a roaring lion. He is seeking whom he may devour. And let me just tell you, the one who, who, is, who is under the shield of prayer, the, the lion can't find him. He can't find that person. What is he saying? He's saying the hour of temptation, when the tempter comes, that's not God, that's Satan. When he comes, listen, if you want to be strong, if you want to be protected, live a life of divine connection to God who, who, who just gives themselves to that intimacy. Protection comes from prayer. How about this one? We were talking about this one this week. We prayed this very one this week. Provision. That's one of the benefits of prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now let me add something to this. Not all bread is natural. Jesus said to Satan in the desert while he was being tempted, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want to encourage you today that there is spiritual bread to be consumed and that when you go to God, you can say, God, I need something to feast on in the spirit. I'm feeling a little famished. I've been going through this situation, being honest with God. God, I'm humble. I'm not just seeking for word, uh, for, for direction from Google, okay? I'm not just Googling my issues. God, I'm coming before the throne saying, God, I know you have the answers. God, give me the bread to sustain me. Does it mean that he will provide naturally? You better believe that. He revealed himself to be provider, but he provides to us not only natural bread, but spiritual bread. I love that prayer also teaches us about our position. Matthew 6, he says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you pray, you will start to know that I am a son or daughter of God. I will know why, because the one I am praying to, I relate to as father. He is a king. He sits on a throne, but suddenly, and listen, sons operate differently than slaves. 
I don't have time enough to teach you all of this, but I'm here to tell you that sons will operate with a confidence. Trust me, I have two teenage boys. They walk out of the room and great confidence, anything that is in the freezer or in the fridge is likely to disappear. Why? Because they know whatever is in there belongs to dad. And because I am dad's son, I get to eat all of it. And dad will take up fasting. You see, when, you, when, you're, when you're in the place of prayer, you begin to operate like you know you belong. Somebody in here needs to hear that today. See, you have thought to yourself, I don't know if I belong in church or belong with these people who, who, who love God with all their heart. You do belong. The blood of Jesus makes you belong. The Spirit of God will confirm you belong. And when you get into the place of prayer, you'll start to say, and he is my father. I operate differently in the way that I think. And then lastly, gives you perspective. Prayer gives you the best kind of perspective. In Nahum, it says, it says this, the Lord is good. Come on, could you just spend all day just on that part of that one verse? The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. When you go to prayer, and you begin to pray by faith, and pray according to the word, and you're praying his promises, not just what you've come up with in your mind, but you're praying what he has already revealed, what he has already said. And when you're praying in the spirit, being built up in your most holy faith, when you are growing in there, suddenly your perspective changes. You begin to know him as a good God. You begin to make declarations like David did in Psalm 27. At the very end, he says this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he gives this admonition, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord. He's saying in prayer, don't give up. He says, wait on the Lord and you're going to have the right perspective. His answer is coming. He is good. You'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I just want to give you one final thing to write about prayer. And it's simply this, prayer Watering the soul, the, the soil of Christian service, which we talked about last week with the towel. Prayer is watering that soil. Prayer is the breeding ground for miracles. You're watering the soil. You're asking the Lord for him to supernaturally intervene in, in situations, God, I'm asking for you to do something about this cancer. God, I'm asking you to do about this blindness or this deafness or this brokenness. Lord, I need you to supernaturally intervene. 
I got to tell you, every believer has experienced a miracle through prayer. How do I know? Because your initial prayer was asking for a miracle. Do you remember your initial prayer? God, forgive me. God, let a supernatural transaction take place. Take the weight of sin. Take this death that belongs to me that will will send me to an eternity apart from you. God, take this death. And in a supernatural moment of grace, he comes and lifts sin, places it on Christ, and gives you a righteousness that doesn't belong to you, that was purchased by the perfect Lamb of God. He then fills you with his spirit, giving you a new nature, and then suddenly you can walk and talk and commune with our God like never before. Your first prayer was a prayer for miracles. Don't stop praying. 